patient journey should be the red thread that runs through everything we do. So everything should trace back to what we know about and the insights we have about the patient journey, the unmet needs and pain points. Within your strategy and planning processes, having a maximized view on what could be the most patient-centric approach that we could take if we didn't have commercial restraints put upon us. And then only work back from that to recognize the fact that there are some commercial realities that, that make things relevant rather than doing it the other way around. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the ZS Associates European Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Curtis. Patient centricity, a topic that has been floating around healthcare organizations for the better part of the last decade. Most healthcare companies have something about patients in their mission statement or vision. We've seen the introduction of chief patient officer roles at many large companies. But how many are really living up to the values, designing and organizing internally to focus on the patient and better anticipate and meet their needs? And what does that even look like? What value does that bring? The patient's the ultimate customer in the healthcare landscape, but it's easy to see why they may not be in the forefront. Healthcare providers tend to be the center of attention as they have the most direct purchasing power. Demonstrating the value of patient-focused initiatives and strategies in single-payer healthcare systems can be a lot more challenging than in places like the U.S., where direct-to-consumer programs and patient support programs are an easier link to a business case. However, there's a clear trend towards patient empowerment that extends beyond the U.S. and recognizes the value of patient centricity in designing and commercializing medical and pharmaceutical products. Today, we'll talk with two ZS leaders to hear their perspective of what patient centricity means and how organizations can become more patient-centric today. We'll first speak with Hensley Evans, the ZS firm leader in patient consumer marketing, followed by Gordon Batch a European value and access leader. Hi, I'm Hensley Evans. I'm a partner with ZS in our Zurich office, and my role is uh, leading our patient and consumer health practice globally across our organization. How would you define patient centricity? Patient centricity is the act of placing uh, patient insights and patient needs at the center of your decision-making processes, whether that's on the R&D side or on the commercial side. That doesn't mean placing the patient's needs above the, the needs of the organization. Uh, it just really means that you're looking to find the sweet spot in that sort of Venn diagram between the patient's needs uh, and the organization's uh, needs where you're serving both. And if I reflect on some of the clients I work with, I think almost all of them have, you know, serving the patient as something that's part of their, their mission statement. But I don't really see that always um, coming through in terms of the way that you, they're actually enabling that patient value. What's your perspective on that? What's the, the disconnect between the, the stated vision, but then yeah. how it actually plays out? I think there's lots of legacy processes um, that, that get in the way, right? So... I see organizations that have the best of intentions that say all of our strategic imperatives are going to be grounded in deep patient insights or deep patient unmet needs. And the marketing teams go ahead and, uh, you know, create a patient journey and they seek to deeply understand what's happening and 
where the pain points are for the patient. They construct their strategic imperatives around those patient needs. Um, and then, you know, down from finance comes, uh, you know, hey, that's great, but we want you to double your revenue forecast. And so all those ideas about focusing on a specific patient target, et cetera, go, go out the window. Or it may be as simple as, you know, patient input isn't built into this process, right? So you think about clinical trial design as a great example. Um, if patient input isn't built into the standard process for developing a clinical trial protocol, then it's generally viewed as like an extra, right? It's gonna cost you more, it's gonna take more time. And you know, most organizations don't have the luxury of saying like, okay, well, it's really gonna add a lot of value, so I really need this extra budget and I need this extra two months to incorporate patient input. So if you don't build it into the foundational process and make it a requirement that like here in the process of your protocol development, you need to get patient input, it often doesn't happen. I do think that, you know, organizations are starting to kind of make a shift between a historical mindset of the patient as someone who receives a medication. As consumerism has increased, as patients become more engaged in their care, as the financial burden of care on patients, even outside of the U.S., right, continues to increase, you see patients being much more active drivers of treatment decisions. I would say more accurate, uh, you know, reflection of the of the patient's role now is that they are much more engaged in many more decisions. I do see more and more organizations recognizing that evolving role of of patients um, as more equal uh, partners in in the decision making process versus just the HCP is going to drive all of those decisions. That view certainly resonates a lot in the U.S. Uh, however, there is still skepticism in markets outside the U.S. that patient empowerment really is a trend. I mean, I think we see signals that it's happening more in Europe, and, and that is the direction of travel. What, what are you seeing? It's really interesting that you say that about the kind of U.S. versus ex-U.S. You know, we did a study in 2019 looking at the degree to which, you know, physician recommendations uh, drove patient decisions uh, across markets. What we found in this study, we, we looked at a thousand patients across different TAs and diseases in each of the five markets, US, Canada, UK, Germany, Italy. And we found that um, the degree to which people agreed with statements like, people should be prepared to talk about their treatment preferences with their doctor. You know, Germany was just as high as the US and Canada. And in fact, the, the degree to which people agreed that they talked to their doctor about specific treatments was highest in Italy, next highest in Germany, right? Uh, so the, the US market sort of said, yeah, I probably should be prepared to talk to my doctor about a preference. Sometimes I go, but I don't really ask, right? But, you know, Italy was like, well, I don't know if I should be prepared to talk about preferences, but I do have one and I talk to my doctor about it. So, you know, I, I think you see cultural differences kind of reflected in, in some of the, the study results, but what it demonstrated for me was, um, you know, patients are just as active, if not more so, in ex-US markets in advocating for their treatment preferences. And we absolutely see that as a trend, trend everywhere, right? Patients becoming, to your yep. point, more of the decision makers. And I guess if we start then thinking about that, like, what does that mean then in terms of commercial decision making? How does patient centricity shape that? 
and what's the outcome? We've defined sort of four key areas um, of capability that organizations um, can and should be focusing on. And, and this is really across the enterprise, but you know, I can speak specifically to commercial. So the first is leadership and culture, the importance of having you know, visible, vocal, senior leadership support for a focus on the patient that's obviously crucial. The second is the business processes and practices, right? Making sure that you have established the right processes to support, um, you know, integrating patient insights and needs into your work and decisions. And I think from a commercial perspective, the way that one of my clients described this was patient journey should be the red thread that runs through everything we do. So everything should trace back to what we know about and the insights we have about the patient journey, the unmet needs and pain points there. The third, which we haven't really talked a lot about is um, data, technology and analytics, right? And the degree to which you are able to leverage data technology and analytics to drive really deep insights about what is happening with your patients. But how is that evolving over time? And what do you need to do to respond to that? I think that um, a number of organizations are starting to think about the fact that in many cases, data and insights live in totally different places in, in the organization. We've got our HOR team over here that's doing some work with secondary data analytics. We've got our PAG, our patient advocacy group team over here that's getting insights from our patient advocacy partners. We've got our market research team over here. We've got our hub or patient services over here. We've got uh, medical that, that's doing some work with patient communications. So we have all these different places, but we're not bringing together all these different sources of data and insights and, and using that to really drive our decision making. So although it feels very not patient centric to talk about data and analytics, it, it's often a key enabler to, to be able to really understand deeply the patient's needs and to respond to them in a way that uh, recognizes individual differences across markets or across even, even individual patients. And then the last is partnerships. We're seeing more and more organizations develop partnerships with providers, with payers, with technology companies or health technology companies. Um, because I think if you consider the patient's experience, um, for many patients, it doesn't start when I get the script, right? For every patient, it doesn't start when I get the script. It starts way before that. And in many cases, you're talking about people who have, you know, comorbidities, they're managing more than one uh, condition or disease. So I think those partnerships become crucial in recognizing the whole of the patient's experience. And a patient doesn't want to get information about lifestyle uh, necessarily or um, managing all of their different health conditions uh, from a pharmaceutical manufacturer, right? Maybe they feel that an advocacy organization is more, more of a trusted provider or their physician or provider. So figuring out the right ways to partner um, to address that kind of whole patient uh, need is is really crucial and you know could save a lot of money we we did some research that shows that more than half of the patient services that, that pharma provides are um, replicated by by other organizations out in the ecosystem so um, if you didn't have to provide all of those and could instead partner you could save yourself uh, quite a lot of uh, time and energy I think what, what kind of stood out the most to me kind of looking at that the processes to be integrating the patient insights and then the, the data, technology, and analytics 
to really be incorporating and learn from that. It seems really obvious, but I would imagine all the compliance concerns is what puts a lot of companies off from doing it. What's, what's your observation? When we asked people what the real barriers were standing between them and becoming more patient-centric, the biggest one was organizational silos. Right? 43% of the folks that we surveyed said that that was the single largest barrier um, that they faced uh, in delivering an experience to patients. More than a third people said the lack of consistency uh, across uh, employees and, and departments uh, in terms of the way they approached patient value uh, was a barrier. And you know, another key barrier was the lack of measurable KPIs or a, an ability to quantify the impact. And you sort of talked about this earlier that you need to make a case for it, right? Uh, you need to be able to demonstrate the benefit of um, focusing on, on the patient. And so uh, for a number of the folks that, that, we, that we surveyed, they said that that was one of the challenges that they faced. Legal and regulatory did not come up in the top 10. One of the things we really want to understand is what, what can we start doing today to be more patient-centric? I think the, the very first thing you need to do is define what you mean by patient-centricity or patient value, right? Like what, what does that mean within your organization? Because we have been talking about patient-centricity for over a decade. Uh, UCB put a patient-centricity ambition on the cover of their annual report in 2010. And so it's been kicked around as a phrase uh, ever since. But... I think in order for it to become meaningful in an organization, you have to specifically define it and align it to the organization's strategic imperatives and values, right? So if your strategic imperatives are around innovation or are around being data and digital, right? You then need to connect those strategic imperatives back to the, the patient value and, you know, um, show how patient value is going to drive those overarching strategic imperatives. And so I think like defining that um, in a way that that is meaningful within the organization is the very first thing that I would do. I think that the second thing that I would say is that, you know, once you've defined what it means, then say, okay, now that I've thought about patient value and how it aligns to my overarching strategic objectives, my portfolio goals, kind of what I need to do to succeed in the next one to three years, then pick out a couple of places where you can make an impact uh, relatively quickly, right? And so maybe for your organization, you're bringing a ton of new, new brands to market. Think about how patient input and patient focus can make those launches more successful. Or maybe you've got a lot of really great um, opportunities in your pipeline. Think about how building in uh, patient input into your trial design protocols, patient reported outcomes can help you develop um, assets that are going to be more successful when they come to market. The second thing is, you know, pick those, pick those few things that you want to do. And then I think the third thing is, um, for me, think about how you want to identify the organizational habits that are going to stand in your way. Um, because I think, uh, you know, I, I gave a couple of examples before. If you don't identify the sort of structural barriers and remove them, then you can do all these great new things, um, but they're just going to run right into that wall and not kind of get all the way to the finish line. So um, to me, you know, define the value, pick a couple of things where you, you can demonstrate relatively quick wins, 
and then think about what you need to undo in the organization in, in order to succeed. And if I could add a fourth, I would say, you know, think about how you would partner with your human resources organization um, to build in the right metrics, measures, and incentives uh, for, for people, you know, people behave in the way that they're incented to behave. So if you want them to be patient centric, um, think about how to ensure that roles are clear, um, that people know what their expectations are for their role in terms of delivering patient value, and that there's some clear ways to measure uh, whether or not they're doing that, and that that's meaningful, right? If I know I'm going to be measured on it, it's going to be part of my evaluation, I'm going to make sure I do it. So I think there's, there's a couple of places to start. And, and whether you want to invest in leadership and culture or process and practices or data and analytics or partnerships really depends on, you know, how patient value aligns to your overarching, you know, business strategy. So I, I think there's no single formula there. Those kind of, you know, two to three key things that you want to focus on for quick wins is going to be very different for each organization. Finding patient centricity and aligning to strategic imperatives makes sense. Let's look at what that looks like in practice. My next guest is Gordon Batch, and he joins us to share his view on what patient centricity means from a market access perspective. So my name's Gordon Batch. I'm in the leadership team within the EU value and access practice, and I've got nine years of experience uh, both in the industry side and consultancy side within market access. So Gordon, I know that the term patient centricity is thrown around everywhere. What does that actually mean to you, particularly thinking about it from an access perspective? Uh, so for me, what you'll often see with conversations around patient centricity and market access is very specifically related to patient reported outcomes or patient support programs and these like value added services. Uh, that kind of supplement what is your core proposition. For me, the move that kind of needs to happen for it to be patient-centered is that actually it's a requirement of both your submission document that it includes relevant patient outcomes, but also it has to be included within the assessment criteria that payers and decision makers use to actually look at the value of your product. And so I think uh, it's a move away from the current supplementary approach to a more patient-centered approach. What would that look like and how would that be different from the way it's typically approached by the industry? For pharma, it's really around, I think, the, the key thing that needs to happen is that currently because of the approach where your comparator and the indication that you launch in is so based around the pricing environment that exists already rather than the patient's need and need within that uh, indication, actually you need to kind of revert your thinking a little bit into right actually where's that area of highest unmet need where we can actually deliver something of value to patients rather than focusing in on the pricing environment what about the challenge for products that are more of an incremental innovation versus something that's truly transformative where's the opportunity there to be more patient-centric so i suppose the point of this is being honest with yourself uh, and actually in in a lot of instances um, if you're taking a truly patient-centered approach you want to be considering whether those incremental innovations are necessarily the ones that you want to be advancing is point one. Uh, but of course, if, if you feel that there's a value that can contribute to there, you're going to need the, the evidence from a patient perspective that actually backs that up and is authentic and tangible and robust. And so I think that's something that I've seen that can help you move beyond just qualitative patient perceptions that kind of supplement your argument 
uh, it's actually having some data that sits behind that through recognized methods. Uh, there's some approaches I've seen that have done that really nicely within like the digitally connected health space. So, for example, um, using patient perspectives around their um, experience with the product, uh, how it's kind of helped them in their day-to-day -day lives, but doing it within formal methods that's published in academic journals rather than like marketing material. So that, that's my feel for how you can take an evidence-based uh, approach to, towards um, supporting your more incremental innovation. I agree that, that transformational benefit is valuable when we think about it from a medical benefit perspective, and, and that will always win. But a lot maybe even most products are not transformational, but could be argued to be incremental. What do you do then? How do you build on that? So I think when, when I'm talking about innovation, it's not necessarily scientific innovation in that this is a new and uh, very interesting area of science. It could just be that you're making a, what you might describe as an incremental innovation, but that might be transformative from a service design perspective, for example. There's something that's a small tweak could be providing something within a different administration route. Now, this is something that lots of pharma companies use in the wrong way, uh, and it's used as just you know, a patent, uh, patent extension kind of approach. But it's also something that can be transformative in indications where it makes total sense from a patient perspective. So, for example, if you're transitioning patients from a, uh, a long intravenous infusion experience into a patient experience where they can potentially have that at home through a different route of administration or in a very short clinic where they don't need a, a healthcare professional there, that might not be considered transformational from a scientific perspective, but from a patient experience and kind of service design perspective, it, it can be considered so. So it's, it's finding where your value proposition is within your innovation, not, and that's not necessarily just how kind of intriguing the science is. I think that's a, a great distinction that it can be beyond the product itself, and in particular around this idea of kind of you know, service design and innovation around non-traditional, non-product routes. What kind of companies do that well, and what makes them different versus companies that continue to try and push on the product itself? The companies that do, that do this well are companies that invest in their kind of co-creation approaches. So normally, well in advance of their products coming to market, in their therapy area, agnostic of the product that they're working on, they'll already have established relationships with the kind of key groups within the markets of interest to understand what's the current pathway that exists today, and then how is the new intervention that we're bringing in going to optimally slot into that so that for that pathway as a whole, we add lots of value. Now, the immediate clinical outcomes is, is one aspect of that, but it could be that the way in which the product is delivered and the service that sits around that could, could be good as well. So the companies that do well on that are those that invest in what we do quite often call subnational market access. So that's market access just beyond the national agreements. It's subnational market access that deals with service managers and um, key decision makers at hospitals, regional formulary committees, this sort of engagement. And they, they really need to get the wallet out uh, to fund that resource because uh, it doesn't come cheap because those folks are people that have normally quite a long experience and have quite often worked on the provider side. And um, so it's, it's something you need to take seriously if you're really going to go with a, an above product value proposition. So what, what would be three things that you would recommend to be more patient-centric? So for me, the first one is really institutionalizing what we would call the red face test for your pricing approach. Are the pricing decisions that you're making based upon the attractiveness of the pricing environment and the relevant comparators? 
or are you really building it from what is the right thing to do where you're going to have the most impact? I think being prepared to respond to that question in front of a patient organization or government is a very important starting point when you're thinking about your commercial strategy. Uh, and I think you want to bring that into formal processes. A second one that I've seen that's a bit more tactically is almost forcing that patient perspective into your key meetings, especially if you think about pricing and market access folks. Um, I think brand teams are a bit ahead of this, like mechanisms I've seen is like institutionalizing a, a specific color chair that you'll have in the meeting rooms that represents a particular you know, perspective, in this case, uh, patients, or you build in role-playing exercises into your key offsite meetings that, where people are kind of forced to take an outside-in perspective uh, like patients. I think those kind of tactical things can really help change the mindset of quite internally focused folks within market access. And then I think um, probably a third one is within your strategy and planning processes, I think almost having a maximized view on what could be the most patient-centric approach that we could take if we didn't have commercial restraints uh, put upon us in terms of pricing environment and the like. And then only work back from that um, to recognize the fact that there are some commercial realities that, that make things relevant rather than doing it the other way around, because it's only through taking that approach to strategy that you can be really considered to be like patient-centric. We've heard a few perspectives on this topic today. Applying my own lens, for the most simplistic definition, patient-centricity is placing the patient and their needs at the center of everything that an organization does. From R&D throughout clinical development and to downstream medical and commercial activities, it is about keeping the patient in the forefront. Looking at internal organization structures can reveal huge insight into how patient-centric it really is. Are teams organized by brands or therapeutic areas? Are functions integrated or working in silos? Leadership teams can think critically about how the environment and structures in place are either hindering or fostering patient-centric outcomes. Using the patient journey is an important strategic tool that can enable this fundamental view in organization around the patient. More downstream though, portfolio and brand teams can apply patient centricity to strategic imperatives, ensuring the right metrics and measurements are in place to reinforce this focus as fundamental rather than supplemental. They can also welcome patients onto their extended teams to play advisory roles, much like how they do with payer or healthcare provider ad boards. And this can happen throughout the development and commercialization process. Feedback loops can capture their feedback to learn, adapt, and incorporate into strategies and tactics that ensure outcomes are ultimately patient-oriented. Patient-centricity is a journey, but one that can and should start today. I'm Jennifer Curtis, and thank you for joining us today on this edition of the ZS Associates European Podcast.